Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. Growth Energy has a new consumer campaign about biofuels, and we're going to learn about that with their CEO, Emily Score, joining us a little bit later on. Markets, wow, watching those closely. Red Hot Markets been cooling in recent days. We'll talk about it with Arlen Suderman with Stone X and Pork producers are concerned about a ruling, a court ruling on line speeds at packing plants that the pork industry feels could cost producers quite a bit of income. We'll talk with Andrew Bailey, legal counsel with the National Pork Producers Council, about that. But let's start it off. A check on the news with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Let's start in the Senate Ag Committee and uh, kind of a a split, kind of a clash going on there over climate funding. Uh, What can you tell us? Well, yes, uh, the the um, uh, the split, of course, is between the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, and it's basically over, a, uh, I would say, a democratic defense of uh, raising taxes to pay for the many things that President Biden wants to do, uh, as long as farmers are exempt, while the Republicans are raising the question of the capital gains tax. Uh, Senator Stabenow, the Democrat who's the chairwoman, uh, says that she too is concerned about the, the ch- about a possible change in stepped-up basis, and she wants farmers and uh, small businesses, uh, family businesses protected. Uh, but Senator Boozman, the, the the Republican who is the ranking member, uh, uh, says he's just as concerned about an increase in the capital gains tax because that could also cause farm families uh, uh, a problem. Um, so we have that uh, we have that issue uh, uh, just sort of moving forward. But I do consider this a kind of typical Washington debate whenever you're talking about raising taxes. And there's a kind of a debate over how much money can they put into these conservation programs, uh, somewhat more than others. Uh, that's going to be a debate. Some are saying they're. Democrats are trying to change uh, the farm bill, basically. Uh, so where do you see that going? Well, that, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. Now, yesterday, a, a, a whole bunch of, of farm groups, uh, not the Farm Bureau, but the Farmers Union and the National uh, Sustainable Ag Coalition, uh, they called for more money than even Biden has proposed putting in uh, to a lot of these programs. Uh, so I think that this will be um, uh, this will be a debate. Now, exactly how this gets considered, we don't know yet. Uh, the, the only thing that's clear, I think, is that the Democrats are determined to do an infrastructure package, however that's defined, before the Congress goes out in, on the 1st of August. Uh, now they're going to go out for Memorial Day week. And so I think uh, we'll see what they learn from their constituents when, they, uh, when they're at home and how that debate uh, proceeds when they get back. But I think the big action here is going to be late July. Now we have another program, a controversial one in some quarters, that 
as USDA is starting up its debt relief program for socially disadvantaged farmers and as they're sending out offer letters to producers, it seems like uh, maybe there are more going to be wanting to get in on this than they thought and that creates a question about paying for that. Some banks have even expressed concerns about this. Uh, yes, well, so far the the USDA believes that there are 13,000 farmers who are eligible for these uh, for these direct payments. Now there are another 2,900 farmers, uh, minority farmers, who have loans that were guaranteed by the USDA, and those are the ones that the banks are concerned about. Uh, but I have to say, you know, the banks have to the loans that there's a prepayment. Penalty, and they will. Uh, they and and the government and you know the government says they will pay the prepayment uh, penalty. Uh, the banks just want more than that. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I don't think the banks are going to do very well on on getting more money out of that. Uh, but then there are the the court cases that are brought by the conservatives saying that any kind of debt relief to minority farmers. Uh, is uh, reverse discrimination, and we're going to have to see how those proceed through the courts. But Secretary Vilsack uh, says he's determined just to move forward with the program. He's been in Georgia and in South Carolina this week speaking to the black farmers uh, and says, uh, you, you know, uh, you're going to get these letters and uh, make sure the numbers are right, and we'll proceed from there. And one other big item, uh, some action by our U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai announcing that the U.S. will request a dispute panel to challenge Canada's dairy tariff rate quotas as uh, part of the USMCA agreement, the, the dispute settlement mechanism that is there. We'll talk with the dairy industry about this tomorrow, but uh, that's a, kind of the first big move by our Trade Representative Tai. Yeah, uh, yes, I think actually this is the biggest story in agriculture this week that the uh, that the United States is going to conti- is going to continue to uh, enforce the USMCA agreement. In in fact, what they're doing is building on the Trump agenda, and in a lot of ways, the trade policy is is building on the, uh, the way that the Trump administration proceeded. I would say, except on this, the 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 Trump enthusiasm for uh, putting tariffs on on products from foreign countries, but on enforcement, it's going along uh, with the Trump administration, and I think that shows that the change in uh, trade policy is bipartisan, and there will be more defense of producers all along the way. Sounds like a pretty crowded uh, schedule for Congress here, trying to get a lot done this summer. How much of it do you think actually gets done? Uh, I think the Democrats are under an enormous amount of pressure to show that they can get these things done. My basic view is that they're going to try to do as much as possible and hope that they get rewarded at the polls in 2022. And if they don't get rewarded, if the, if the Republicans take back the, the House and perhaps the Senate, then they will have at least uh, done the things that, they, uh, that were their highest priorities. We'll, we'll just have to see time-wise, but that's my basic view of how Washington is operating these days. All right. Well, Jerry, as we head towards the uh, holiday weekend, kind of the uh, the kickoff of summer, if you will, things have already kicked off. Pretty hectic schedule there in Washington, D.C. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Talk to you again soon.
All right, take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Some big issues and some big differences of opinion on how to address some of these issues in Congress. We will see how it all plays out. And a lot of uh, big money figures are being tossed around to see uh, how this is going to be funded and and how will these things be paid for. That continues to be a huge debate, big differences of opinion. All right. Growth Energy has started a campaign, a consumer campaign, to promote biofuels. We'll learn about that Get Biofuels campaign. We'll talk with Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, President of Missouri Farm Bureau, Garrett Hawkins. Agriculture has pushed for years for infrastructure improvements. Then you get proposals now that seem to address some of those issues, but along with it comes how to pay for it. Where do you stand on this, and how do you see the pluses and minuses of what's being proposed right now? I've heard a lot of our members use the acronym SSDD. Same story, different day. Seems like here we go again through the years that all of a sudden we talk about death being attacked event. That is the fundamental issue that we're talking about. And the administration has put forth a plan, a multifaceted plan, but the piece that we're most worried about is the elimination of stepped-up basis and then what the plan is to impose capital gains tax at death. While they've tried to tell agriculture, hey, don't worry, we're still having this fundamental conversation and trying to talk about fairness and legacy in terms of what we do in agriculture. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Growth Energy has launched a new consumer campaign to encourage drivers to choose biofuels for a cleaner planet. Here to tell us about it is Emily Score, CEO for Growth Energy. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about this campaign. Oh, thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk with you. We're really excited. So we've launched, it's a new digital initiative that complements our other market development efforts by priming consumer demand for higher blends like E15. We know consumers today are looking for ways they can make a positive impact on the environment. And so our initiative positions biofuels like plant-based ethanol as a simple change anyone can make to benefit the earth. We're using cutting-edge creative and in doing so, we're connecting directly with the consumer in her space, drawing attention to biofuels' positive environmental benefits, and then encouraging her to choose higher blends like Engine Smart, Earth Kind E15, or what she would recognize as unleaded 88 at the pump. You know, it, it almost seems like the narrative has become, if you want to um, help protect the planet, improve the environment, uh, as far as driving is concerned, you have to go with electric vehicles. This uh, tells motorists, hey, there's another way you can do it with fuels that we already have, with uh, energy and infrastructure that we already have in place. That's right. So, I mean, you know that the, the mindset across the country right now, there's a, there's a climate consciousness, and air quality and climate have never been more top of mind. But our message is you don't have to wait, you don't have to buy a new car, and you don't need new infrastructure. You can make a simple change that changes everything today with your current car and, and the current retailer that you're going to. So we're, we're really excited, and we think that this really taps into um, the psyche of the consumer right now. Well, tell us how this campaign will work as far as how you're getting the message out. It's a digital initiative, and so right now we're in a pilot phase, and we're launching in two markets, one in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Raleigh, North Carolina. And we chose those two markets because, one, you can get E15 at, so you can get E15 at retailers in Raleigh, but you can't in Salt Lake City. So we're testing out um, our ability to engage consumers and motivate them to be seeking out this choice. Uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll reflect on the pilot. Our hope is to, our aim is to launch this nationally in the fall. We're talking with Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. Emily, some of us uh, talk about ethanol and biofuels all the time. Uh, for the consumers, though, uh, maybe we're, it's, um, we kind of fall into the trap of thinking they ought to know about it, but many do not, or they've heard things that are misleading about about ethanol. So this is really, I think, there's this door that is opened or a window that is opened, if you will, of opportunity as these motorists are looking and thinking about these climate issues. Here's a, maybe the opportunity we've been waiting for to really reach them with the biofuels message. 
You're absolutely right. Most consumers don't know about ethanol, and if they do, they're going to parrot out some of the opposition messaging. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. So the way that we kind of capture their attention is by connecting with them on the climate. You want to make a simple change. Hey, here's something. And the, the reason that we're using the biofuels language is because we know through our market research and insights that consumers have a very favorable attitude toward biofuels. They intuitively understand, oh, biofuels, it's renewable energy. It's good for the planet. So they have very positive associations with biofuels, they just don't automatically know that ethanol is also a biofuel. So we're capturing them on things that are top of mind. We're bringing forward nomenclature like biofuels that they understand and they associate with positivity. And then we're leading them down the path saying, hey, this thing, ethanol, that you hadn't thought of before, you, pu you can put it in your gas tank and you can, you can make some, accomplish something good for the planet. I guess timing is everything. I mean, we've been touting the environmental benefits of ethanol for years and years, but it takes, uh, I guess, the right circumstances to get people to really listen and tune into the message, and I think maybe we're into that time now. I think we are. Um, certainly we are from a political perspective. I mean, the conversation in Washington, D.C. is very much climate, about climate, and that reflects where we are as a country. And as an industry, you know, we are very excited to be able to be part of that climate dialogue to demonstrate that we're a solution. So there's a lot of excitement within the industry about where our national dialogue is going. We know that we are a solution that can be used today. And so, you know, I think timing is divine. And so now is the time for us to be able to connect with a consumer and start to change attitudes and perceptions once and for all. And as we get consumers seeking, wanting, asking for E15, maybe that helps get E15 more available as retailers see that growing demand out there. That's the idea. I mean, our goal is that E15 becomes the standard fuel choice nationwide. And so with this undertaking, with this added consumer engagement, we have what I would say is a full-throttle industry effort. So we're pursuing pro-growth policy, we are leveraging commercial opportunities, and we're spurring consumer demand. So with those three elements, we have kind of that E15 trifecta, and we need all three things to get to that next step where E15 is the standard fuel nationwide. It's, um, it's hard sometimes to get people to, to think about bigger picture when they're fueling up. I mean, a lot of people just pull into the filling station and get gas and move on. But now we're starting to find motors thinking about broader issues such as the environment and what's in the fuel that they're putting in their vehicles. So, I mean, uh, there's a lot there's a lot happening right now on this front. So we, it's a real an opportunity. I, I find myself thinking, wow, we've been talking about this for so long why haven't they already received this message? But uh, whatever it is now, we got to get this point across, right? Well, you're right. And, you know, fuel and fossil fuels are more top of mind in large part because of our COVID experience. Last summer when we had shelter in place and drivers stopped driving, particularly people in urban areas, they could actually see what clean air looks like, and they had not experienced it before. Now, they want to be able to get back on the road, but they want to be able to maintain their, their air quality as well. So there really is um, a motivation among consumers and an appetite to do something positive for the planet. Uh, but you also know that they want to do something, is there something easy and simple that I can do? Well, we've got a very simple change that you can make. And that's the, that's the message. I mean, the, the, the takeaway for the consumer is that with biofuels in your gas tank, you fuel beyond and you become part of the climate solution.
and you don't have to go buy an electric vehicle or find a charging station or, or learn about all that. And maybe some people will do that as we move maybe in that direction. But in the meantime, there's something they can do right now, and it's very simple. It's very simple. You can do it in the car that you have. Uh, and, you know, I encourage your listeners, go to fuelbeyond.com. You'll see some of our, our video content and our creative, and you'll see it's just it's really creative and smart, and it really meets the consumer where they are and what they're thinking about today. Yeah, I've watched that video. Very interesting. Uh, how do you see this campaign growing, then, as you move uh, through the summer and into the fall? Well, so we're, we're in a pilot phase this spring. Um, I always, when we're doing something of this magnitude, you want to do pilot and kind of work out the kinks. Uh, and then uh, the goal is that we launch this nationwide in the fall. So as you launch that nationwide, is that going to be uh, in, on a lot of different platforms then in your digital campaign? It is. So it's, you know, digital today means, um, you know, not only kind of online and social media, but connected TV. So Hulu, um, a lot of the apps that you're watching, Apple TV. So we're really tracking our target consumer, which is, uh, it tends to skew millennial and female and really kind of on the coast, you know, those who are really attentive to, to environmental issues. So, you know, we're, we're, targeting those consumers and we're targeting them in digital platforms where we know they're engaging and they're looking for content about the environment and so that's where we're going to be where we're going to be raising awareness about hey there is something that you can do today in your car that you have today that's going to be a simple change that really changes everything for the planet really tap into that that curiosity that they have right now about fuels about carbon uh, about environmental issues uh, really make that connection perhaps with them in a way we haven't been able to before absolutely and now is the time because they're looking to connect i mean the the consumer today is demanding more of their products and of the companies um, that are selling the products. They're demanding that they want to understand what is my environmental impact, what can I do to reduce my environmental footprint as an individual for my family. This is an easy step that they can make without having to go purchase a brand new vehicle. Okay, Emily, again, where can uh, people see more about your campaign, learn more about Get Biofuels? Yes, go to fuelbeyond.com. And you'll learn all about the campaign. And you, you can also type in your area, and you can find a retail station that sells E15. Perfect. Fuelbeyond.com. Great. Emily, thanks a lot. And we look forward to talking with you throughout the year about how the campaign's going. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, getting the message out about the uh, benefits, environmental benefits, a lot of other benefits as well, to the use using of biofuels, something we have right now. We'll talk markets next with Arlen Suderman on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. It's been our legacy year after year, and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, we've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. 
We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the graded soy complex sell-off is continuing with spot corn now giving up early gains and bean meal extending its free fall. Wheat is under severe pressure on forecasts for more rain in hard and soft wheat areas. Frost risks stretch from the northern half of North Dakota east to northern Michigan this morning through Friday. The dry northern plains and northwestern Midwest continue to see showers, but overall rain volumes have underverified and soil profiles remain lacking heading into summer. Soil profiles are also low on moisture across much of the eastern Midwest as well. We have the weather story on one side. We have demand on the other. Yesterday's collapse brought a focus on weakening bids at Pacific Northwest ports. This really isn't a surprise. We may see China demand collapse at some point as Chinese demand is often suspect. What we're currently seeing is China rolling some of its old crop core purchases to the new crop, while it's also shifting some to Gulf origins where the capacity is better. Overall, this market sell-off, we saw some fun money move out of this market yesterday quite a bit, actually, and that sell-off continuing in the grain trade here so far on this Wednesday. Taking a look at the numbers, July corn 15 and a half lower, 604 three quarters. December corn down 10 and a quarter, 505 and a half. July beans 18 to three quarters lower, 1493. November beans down 17 to three quarters, 1329 and a half. July bean meal down 750 a ton, 378.80. July bean oil 83 points lower, 65.86. July Minneapolis wheat 10 and a quarter lower, 672 and a half. July KC wheat down 13 and a quarter, 591 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat 13 and three quarters lower, 642 and three quarters. Livestock mix June live cattle up 65, 117.37. May feeder cattle up 2, 136.65. June lean hogs 30 lower, 114.95. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Oh, what's happening with the markets? Let's talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, 
is what is happening right now with markets, is, is this a cool off or a uh, meltdown? How would you describe it? Well, it certainly has the appearance of being a meltdown, but that's the world that we live in today with computers driving the markets in large position limits and the amount of money that's in it. We said back in February that we would we could expect some big price swings in both directions through the spring and summer, and uh, we're just getting started the summer now, and that's been the case so far. Uh, does it mean that we put in the highs for the year? I mean, nobody rings a bell, as they say in Chicago, when the highs put in. So can't say that with any certainty, but I do not believe that the last chapters have been written in this market. I think we're going to continue to see these big swings. What we do know is we still have strong demand out of China. Yes, we're seeing some modest rolling of old crop in a new crop that we anticipated as China tries to manage a number of ships that can turn through their ports between now and the end of our marketing year. Yes, we are seeing China clamp down and resulting in some cancellations of purchases that for, were for uh, buyers in some of the free trade areas that took advantage of some uh, tariff-free purchases of corn, those are relatively small relative to the big picture purchases. Overall, the demand is strong. We're seeing them turn the corner on African swine fever, and we're expecting a strong resurgence in demand in the last half of this year for corn and soybeans. We still have a shrinking crop in Brazil that's getting smaller, and we have uncertainty regarding the upcoming U.S. growing season. The perception in the trade this week is that all is well, and I anticipate that Tuesday's first crop ratings of the new year will look good for the corn crop. Um, but where will we go from there? We've got a lot of the Midwest with dry soil profiles, even after the last couple of weeks of rain. Uh, and uh, so we're going to be vulnerable. There's a lot of risk ahead. How it'll play out is still a big unknown. Yeah, we, we've been through this before. Uh, this is kind of the way it goes. The markets will tend to believe or operate on the assumption it's going to be a big crop until somehow proven differently, right? I mean, they're not thinking, well, it's a little dry here or there's maybe some problems there. Overall, they see it still as a big crop for the time being, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I still say price is a function of supply and demand, but it's modified by the flow of money. That flow of money has been huge, and it changes how the market manages supply and demand instead of producer and end user in the trading pit agreeing on a fair price, we now throw in all of this money into an electronic market driven by computers, lack of transparency. It still functions, but it, with a lot more frustrations, the end users and producers alike. Uh, and that means that most of the people involved in the markets today outside producers and end users don't even know what a corn plant looks like, let alone a soybean plant. What they do understand is technicals, chart signals. And so they set up the algorithms to trade these chart signals. And so when momentum is up, they throw a lot of money at it and they go as long as they can. When it turns down, they'll do the same to the downside. When it turns back up, they'll do back to the upside. And in the end, you do come out with a price that reflects a fair value for supply and demand, but it creates a lot of frustration for those through the entire length of the production to, to supply chain in the process. 
talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Arlen, I don't think we've talked about this, but what are your thoughts on moving to computers the way we have and away from the uh, the open uh, outcry system on the floor, the you know the Board of Trade and, and people talking directly to each other, or in that case, yelling, screaming at each other as the system <laughs> wa- was. Uh, what do you see as the, the pros and cons, the advantages, disadvantages we're seeing from that change that has taken place over the years? Well, of course, I'm a nostalgic guy, so I kind of like the old. Uh, and uh, But yet there are pros and cons, as you indicated. When you had producers and end users together in a trading pit and resellers, you had a lot more transparency, and you could interpret based on who was buying and selling what's probably happening. You have less transparency with electronic. But with electronic, you're able to clear a lot more volume of trade right now with less errors. Uh, and move it through. Now, the increased money plays into that. The increased volume allows for more money involved in more trades. Uh, That provides more liquidity for the market, so it's easier for farmers and end users to get trades completed, but it also means that we get more volatility like this, which means sometimes running prices higher than what's justified by the fundamentals and sometimes lower. What are your thoughts on what USDA will do in the June 30th acres report? How much of an adjustment do you think they're going to make from uh, their earlier report, which no one really, I don't think, believed the numbers were just so low? How much of an adjustment do you think they're going to make? My March 31 estimates were 92.85 million acres of corn and 90.5 million acres of soybeans. Uh, I still feel pretty good about that corn number. Now, we've seen some numbers. The uh, IHS market used to be in Forma as, as high as, I believe, 96.8 million acres of corn. Maybe they're right. I don't see evidence of that. Uh, I like my 92.85 million acre level. Then the question comes down to soybeans. I do think we're coming up on soybeans. IHS market, I think, was still at 88-something, 88.5 perhaps, or somewhere in that ballpark. I see us closer to 90.5 or 90 million. I don't know if we get above 90 million, probably somewhere in the 89 to 90 million acre range. A lot of it depends on how quickly we can get this wheat crop to mature in the southern half of the belt in double crop soybeans. We'll probably see double cropping of soybeans further north than we normally see it this year, taking the risk on it. That doesn't mean they're going to yield 60 or 70 bushels per acre, but it's going to go down in the acreage report eventually. So we'll probably see higher than normal uh, double cropping that will be the key to the final number. So that's why I'm a little bit hesitant yet on my final soybean number because the wheat crop is delayed in maturity by so much. Not so much in the Midwest, although somewhat, but when we go on the plains, we're probably delayed at least a good 10 days. So depending on what the weather is, and a lot of things could happen between now and the end of June, obviously, but if USDA comes out with a big adjustment up showing a big jump in acres from their March report, even though it may not be a surprise to anyone, most people expecting a bigger number, but would the trade, would the markets look at that as bearish then more, that, you know, a significant amount uh, more uh, acres than what USDA had been saying? Yeah, legitimate question. So the question comes down to what is the trade currently pricing into the market? 
And I think the market's probably trading a number of, of corn acres somewhere plus or minus 93 million at this point. Um, certainly above 92 million, I believe. Uh, if it's much above 93, then it could have a bearish effect. Otherwise, I think it's priced in. On the soybeans, I think the market's probably trading in uh, a number somewhere around 89 million at this point. Uh, I still believe demand is going to be strong enough that even if we get 90 million, we, we're going to have to ration supplies over the coming year. So I don't think that's a big break. Uh, if we would get somewhere north of 91 million, then we'd start being more bearish soybeans. Um, but anything less than those numbers the other way, and if USDA does not raise their acreage estimates by much, I believe that's bullish because I believe the market is currently pricing in expectations for those increases. Good point. Could go either way. So here's my question. After weeks now of asking you how high can the markets go, now I'm asking you how low do you think they can go? Well, there's still some chart objectives down below this market. We look at the chart gap at December corn, uh, which has taken a larger leadership role. There's one all the way down to around 477 or so. Uh, the, the technicians take a look at those. The question is, when do we get low enough that we see the buyers come back? We're seeing some of that today. I'm not convinced that this buying yet is sustainable. We are seeing soybeans move into positive territory. Now corn starting to move in positive territory. Uh, a bounce is certainly uh, in the works. Is, is this the end of the liquidation? I'm not convinced that it is. It very possibly is. Um, but I think we may have a little bit more weakness to go here yet over the next couple of weeks. Still a lot of questions to be answered, right? Yeah, absolutely, and that's what makes the market go ebb and flow. This rally took place far too soon because of all the money involved, so it left us with a big vulnerability of a couple of months when we lack the type of fundamental support needed to justify the rally. Now we wait and see if we get that data with the growing season here and with the short crop in Brazil. Everybody take a deep breath and hang on. Here we go. All right, thanks a lot, Arlen. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. All right, Mike. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. All right, up next, we're going to look at a court decision on line speeds for packing plants that the pork industry feels could be very costly to especially smaller pork producers. We're going to talk with Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council Science and Technology Legal Counsel, about that ruling, what he sees that... Uh, it will mean for the pork industry and what's the next move to take following that ruling that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture brought to you by Cenex premium diesel Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. Learn more by visiting bettercleanernow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Todd Van Hoos, president and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. Overall, how does the ag economy look to you right now? 
think it looks pretty strong right now. USDA has its projections out, and they're talking about a well above average year. And we're expecting when you add these past two years together, that's going to help recover from the previous five. If you think about 2015 through 2019, those were all well below average income years for most of agriculture. And we saw deterioration in balance sheets and stress on farms. And now if projection is true for 21, we hope to have two pretty good years. But still, there's still some stress out there. Those balance sheets aren't built back to where they were coming out of, say, 2013, 2014. So we think we've got a ways to go, but good news so far, except especially in dairy, where these feed prices are really a challenge because the margin on the other side just isn't there. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. A recent federal district court ruling struck down a provision of USDA's new swine inspection system allowing for faster line speeds and packing plants. Many feel this could be very costly to pork producers, especially smaller pork producers. Here to talk about it is Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council's Science and Technology Legal Counsel. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Why could this have such a negative impact on pork producers? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, you know, obviously, this is going to make, uh, you know, have a huge impact on pork producers. Um, the final rule only came out, obviously, in late 2019. But what that rule did was finalize a pilot program that had been operating in five plants for, you know, well over 20 years at this point. Um, and those plants have been operating differently. And at these higher line speeds, um, you know, uh, significantly above some of them, the 1,106 head per hour limit that traditionally inspected plants have have uh, fallen under and you know they've they've contracted with hog farmers uh, to, to fill all that all that shackle space um, and as i said it's been you know 20 some odd years that these plants have been operating that way um, and this decision in late march has essentially said that you know by july um, of this year they're going to have to drop down um, to the, that much that that lower uh, line speed point um, it's going to be about a two and a half percent um, cut to harvest capacity across the U.S., but for each of these uh, six plants that were operating above the line speed, it's actually going to be a 20 to 30 percent hit. Um, and, you know, these plants, uh, you know, most of them are, are not in Iowa. They're um, out uh, further away. So you're looking at, you know, states like Oklahoma or Michigan taking a significant hit to uh, that state's overall processing or uh, harvest capacity. And you think the biggest economic hit could happen for the smaller producers you know that's what we're afraid of right now um you know if a plant suddenly has to tell 20 or 30 percent of its uh or cut 20 to 30 percent of the hogs it takes um there's the likelihood that they'll keep the larger producers and and cut loose the smaller guys and then they'll have to find the next nearest plant that has excess capacity and you know there's already capacity is already pretty tight it's all it's sort of a perennial concern um and that suddenly disappearing is is, is you know a, a significant uh, impact and and not just that you know um we're also looking at the sudden flood of animals onto the the spot market um it looks like it could be about a 80 million dollar hit for for uh hog farmers across the country um you know and 
maybe I think it's about a 1070 per hundred weight impact on the, the live hog price. Uh, plus, you know, some of these farmers are going to go from sending their animals, you know, to a plant as close as 30, 50 minutes away to maybe five, almost six hours away to get to the next closest place. And that has both, you know, cost and impact on, on the animals. So what was behind the court's decision? Safety? Um, well, the court decision actually came down to process. It was it was how USDA promulgated this rule. Mm. Um, uh, it was a, essentially an eight, uh, Pr- Administrative Procedures Act case, um, and the way USDA took comments and then wrote um, and then wrote the actual rule, uh, the court just found that they didn't go through reasoned decision making that they should be required to. Um, it, uh, it and that was really the focus of the case. Okay. So the the court didn't say then that higher line speeds, faster line speeds, uh, leads to unsafe conditions for workers or something like that, which some have, that's been a debate, some have have raised those concerns, but that's not what the court ruling said. Well, yeah, I mean, the court, so the court looked at that in terms of standing, but really what it came down to, the actual decision was, um, you know, how USDA promulgated this rule. Okay. Um, and, you know, our, our point is that while it seems like a plant-specific issue, it's how fast the line is running and, and a certain number of plants, you know, it, it, it seems small, only six plants, but these six plants have almost a quarter of total harvest capacity in the country. Um, that, our, our whole point is that that's going to have serious major impacts on farms to farmers um, really across the country. So the ruling takes effect at the end of, what, next month? MPPC is asking USDA to intervene before it takes effect? Absolutely. Um, the judge set a 90-day uh, stay on her order, which, you know, in, in normal legal terms sounds like a, a decent amount of time, but, you know, we're on an 11-month production cycle um, from start to finish, um, and that's just the, the animals are already on the ground and in the supply chain, Um that, that should be showing up to that plant on June 30th or, or July 1. Um, and, and folks are really wondering where they're going to go. So, you know, our, our position is that in the immediate term, USDA needs to appeal um, and seek a stay of the decision um, at least long enough to let the industry sort, sort this all out. So, yeah, the MPPC then wants USDA to appeal the ruling and seek a stay while the process plays out then to keep, that would allow the the higher line speeds to continue is that correct yes at least at least in the interim and you know longer term issues um obviously the the hemp pilot program um it was successfully implemented over you know two decades it led to a lot of innovation uh, there's a lot of automation um as well as you know increased capacity in the industry which obviously um increased uh harvest capacity helps producers um and that's, you know, we, we would like to see that continue um, so that there can be more producers, uh, more hogs, more pork generally produced. So we wait for USDA to make the next move. Yes. You know, un- unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, we weren't really a party to this. It was uh, USDA being sued. So really the ball is entirely in, in their court here. All right, so we'll wait and see what the the USDA response is to this. Certainly a a key issue for the pork industry moving forward. Andrew, thank you for the update. Thank you for having me. Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council, Science and Technology Legal Council. So we'll be watching closely that case. Also watching closely, too, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow with the dairy industry. Um, This uh, move by our U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai, 
launching uh, action in the USMCA process to challenge Canada's dairy quotas, their tariff system up there. That's been a long-standing dispute, and uh, our government now taking action, initiating this process. We'll get reaction from the Milk Pro National Milk Producers Federation tomorrow on this, and more on these markets that have many concern. More coming up tomorrow. Join us right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.